past few weeks, we've been looking at the book of the 12 or also known as the minor prophets that they have very short messages, very brief writings, but it doesn't change the impact of their messages. They are minor prophets with major messages. And today we are going to conclude the minor prophets. We've been doing this for the past 11 weeks and looking at what the minor prophets were saying to a time that uh, is sometimes very difficult for us to understand. But when we look at it within the context of what was happening in the life of Israel, it can really mean a lot to us. And so today we're going to conclude. We've been doing 11 weeks because we took Jonah and Nahum and we kind of put them together. So here we are at week 11 finishing with Malachi. And Malachi is an appropriate book to finish with because Malachi is probably the last writings in the Old Testament. So Malachi's message is very impactful of how is God going to close up the Old Testament? What's the last thing he's going to say before what is going to become known as the intertestamental period of 400 years of silence and not hearing anything from the Lord? What he says in Malachi is very important and is what he says in Malachi is very unique as well because you're going to see God really get involved in this writings of Malachi. There's going to be words of the Lord that are recorded and also Malachi is also going to insert his own prophetic intuition in there as well. But Malachi, to give you a little bit of context, is we talked about Zephaniah, right? Zephaniah was prophesying and telling the people, come back home. And then we get to Haggai, where they did come to Jerusalem out of, out of exile, but they just came to Jerusalem to build temple or build homes for themselves and neglected the house of the Lord. And then we get into Zechariah, who is also uh, kind of trying to get them to get to work and get building. But he tells them that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And now here we are in Malachi, which is kind of a chronological sequence to follow those books, that this is about 100 years after the exile. Two generations have passed, and now here are the people. And what is interesting is, just like most of us, and just like the history of Israel throughout all of the Old Testament, they forgot the lessons that they were supposed to learn. So now you have the children of the former generations who have grown up, and they forgot what the Lord was speaking to them all along. And so now this is the last word of the Lord that would be recorded in the Old Testament before Jesus would come born in a manger for you and I. And this is an amazing, I think, way to end the Old Testament because really Malachi's message is this. You're going to see today the best way, if I could sum it all up, Malachi's message is this, the Lord speaking, I'm on the way. I'm on the way. What a word of encouragement to the people as they are dealing with the struggles of life and their own problems. God gives them the admonishment that he is coming. In other words, the Lord basically says this. I've been trying to get this straight for a long time. Now I'm going to step on the scene and you're going to see it with your own eyes. And so today we're going to look at some of the things the Lord does. Malachi's writing is almost poetic in the way that he gives uh, the voice of correction for the Lord. Because he'll give a statement and then he'll give a question that the people asked of the Lord. And so there's kind of this rhythm. And it happens seven times throughout Malachi's writing where there is a point of correction in a statement. And then there's a question about what they're asking of him. And there's just kind of this back and forth. It's kind of poetic. And I'm sure if we spoke Hebrew... 
we would see the, the poetry and the elegance of it even more. And so today we're going to look at the first point of correction. There's seven points. We're not going to go through all seven. We're going to kind of summarize them a little bit as uh, we've had to do with a lot of things uh, in these writings. And so the first one we're going to look is in Malachi chapter 1. And I would encourage you, go through and read these stories sometimes. Look, look at them. We've, we've been trying to condense the broadness of their themes into one kind of a study here, which I believe is helpful to do an overview, but there are also just a plenty of topics and themes that could apply to our own lives as you read them and study them. And so the first one you're going to see in Malachi chapter 1 is the Lord starts it off with a word that almost is repetitive of things that he's been saying in the other minor prophets, and now he repeats basically again. In Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, he says this, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. We get this kind of theme through the minor prophets about God's love. We started with Hosea, where God spoke through Hosea to, to marry an unfaithful wife to show how they had treated him, but yet how he was faithful to them and loved them so much. And we've seen this theme throughout the other minor prophets about how much God really loves them. How much God really cares for them. And we talked about in Zephaniah how the, the, the verse Zephaniah 3.17 said that he wanted to renew them in his love. Over and over we see these themes of God's love speaking to them. But we need to understand really what is happening here. We're going to talk about three categories with through, throughout Malachi. And what the Lord does is very interesting compared to the rest of the minor prophets here in Malachi. Is the Lord shares ways that they have personally offended him and insulted him. He really tells them kind of face to face, if you will, that all these things that he's been trying to do for them. But they have insulted him and they have offended him through their actions. And now we see this kind of role of the Lord compared to the other minor prophets where the Lord is inserting himself kind of face to face, trying to reason with them and say, hey, look, guys, you are offending me by your actions. And the first one was, is that the Lord says, I have loved you. But they responded, how have you loved us? Now think about this for a moment. God has, let's just go back to, not all the way to the beginning, but just to the Exodus. God delivered them out of the hand of Egypt. God parted the Red Sea. God provided for them in the desert. God helped them build a temple. God provided for them over and over and over again. He brought them out of exile once again and helped them reestablish their lives. We see this time and time and time again how God was faithful to them and showed them how much he really loved them. But they said to him, how have you loved us? Now, that was an insult, if there was one. That was a straight slap in the face saying, Lord, we don't see how you've loved us. And over and over, God is trying to reason with him and say, but don't you see all these years I have been chasing after you. I have been trying to show you how much I really love you. But they say, how have you loved us? This first one I'm calling forgotten love. This was his first offense with them personally, is they forgot how much he loved them, how much he cared for them. They forgot how faithful he was time and time again. They forgot that he truly cherished them and loved them. And I think it's really interesting that this is the first, almost the words of the Lord in Malachi. 
I have loved you. Beyond all of the other things that were going on, the Lord, I think the primary thing that he wanted them to see was that he loved them, that he truly cherished them. They were his treasure. We talked about last week. They were the apple of his eye. He wanted them so much. He wanted them to know that he cared for them, that he was just truly, they were his creation that he adored and that he loved, but they forgot about it. How often it's true in our own lives where we see God's faithfulness over and over and over again, but yet we get into a season where things go wrong or they go haywire and we forget about God's faithfulness and love to us. And it's kind of the same story as the Israelites. We forget about God's love. And we may even say to the Lord, how, God, how is all of this going on and you don't love me? And we kind of give that back to the Lord, but we forget so easily. I think if there's any lesson that could be learned from the Israelites for us today, just a general overall lesson is that we are a forgetful people. They forgot the lessons they learned. They forgot God's faithfulness. They forgot how he provided. They forgot over and over and over again. And it was almost like they had an amnesia of sorts that they just kept leaving those things behind. And they didn't do what God was telling them to do. And he didn't have the relationship with the Lord that he wanted them to have. They forgot how much he loved them. And so now, think about it in this context. Here is Malachi giving these words, and they forgot how much he loved them. So therefore, he says to, they say to them, how have you loved us? And the next word of the Lord is, behold, you're going to have a son, and his name is going to be Jesus. How have you loved us? Let me show you. Let me show you what love looks like. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to come live with you and dwell among you, and he's going to put his life upon a cross for you. That's how I have loved you. That was the Lord's response to them in this, is that I have loved you. We know more than anything, and I think among the minor prophets, we get the message is this, is that God is love over and over again. He is love. He just wants to be with his people. He just, they made life so difficult for themselves. They made life troublesome. God just wanted them to be in relationship with him and to know him and to love him. And even when it comes down in our own lives today, God is just wanting us to have relationship with him. He's not concerned about all of these things that are going on around us and we're trying to do and do and do, but our heart, he wants to be in relationship with us, but they forgot how much he loved them. The next thing we're going to see is that how the Lord shows he's personally been offended and hurt by their actions is in further down in Malachi chapter one as he begins to call out the priest. And remember, the priests are serving in a sacred role. They're doing offerings for the Lord. They're leading the people in worship. But now he's beginning to offer a correction to them and tell them these words. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2, he says this, O priests who despise my name. Now think about that for a moment. Here are the priests that are given to serve the Lord in the temple. And God has told them, you despise my name. Ouch. But you say, how have we despised your name? The Lord responds, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And the last verse in chapter 1. He says, listen to this. This is a hard word right here. He says, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. 
Basically, the Lord is telling them this. They've been going through this process and they were commanded to offer a sacrifice, but they've been offering the least acceptable sacrifice they could give. They would offer an animal that later records in chapter one that they would offer an animal that was blind or lame or had other problems. And they would take something that really wasn't a sacrifice to them and they would give it to the Lord. And this kind of category we're calling half-hearted worship. They came to the Lord and gave worship that was half-hearted. It wasn't really from their heart. They didn't really mean it because it didn't mean anything to them. Their worship was just a ritual and a habit that they went through, but it wasn't coming from a place that was true. And Jesus teaches that, that those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And what they were doing was a lie. It was just all surface. It was just a routine. It didn't mean anything to them. And Beyond that, they were offending the law. The law commanded them to offer a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice without blemish. But yet they continued and insisted upon this. And the Lord put the blame on the priest, the leadership, and said, you're allowing this, basically. You're putting this on. Later on in chapter 2 and I believe in chapter 1, the Lord tells them this. He gets really in their face with this. And he says this, you wouldn't offer this type of sacrifice to your governor. Why are you offering this sacrifice to me? Ouch. He basically says, you, you wouldn't do this for somebody that's above you in your leadership right there. But yet you're doing this to me. Once again, we see the Lord is showing how he has personally been offended and hurt, if you will, by their actions, that they are giving half-hearted worship. Their worship doesn't mean anything to them. Isn't it like us in our lives that we are just, we're such a people of habit that it's easy to go through a ritual and a routine and we kind of lose the meaning of what it means to worship? I think it's been said that some people will discover the truest meaning of worship when they can learn to lift their hands when their world is going in a chaos, when their world is a storm raging around them, but yet they learn to lift their hands in worship. Because that person has discovered that worship isn't about circumstance. Worship isn't true to what's happening and how I feel. Worship is based upon who the great king is. And that's what the Lord said, for I am a great king. In other words, he was telling them, just come worship me. Give me your heart. Give me your soul. Come to me and worship. A little side note here about this. This is interesting that at the end of the Old Testament, the Lord kind of gives them a, a, a proclamation. I am a great king because one of their struggles throughout the whole writings of the prophets and the historians and the, the psalmist was that they wanted their own king. And the Lord was trying to tell them over and over again, you don't need a king. I'm the king. And he declares it as he begins to close up the writings of the Old Testament and lets them know I am a great king. You've been trying to get all these other kings. Now look what they've done to you. I am a great king. It was half hearted worship. I wonder how many times you and I, we approach the throne of grace and we come with a half-hearted worship, a worship that isn't really meaning anything, a worship that doesn't really reflect our love and adoration for the Lord. It's just something we do because we do it as a people. That's what a Christian does. But when does it get to the point where worship, when you don't have any music, you don't have any song, you can just say, Lord, I worship you. 
And sometimes that is the truest form of worship. Sometimes that is the most realest form of worship is when there is complete silence, but yet our heart bows down and honors the Lord. God was calling them away from a half-hearted worship and to true worship in heart. The third thing we're going to see here in Malachi chapter 3 is they, they had forgot his love, the half-hearted worship, and where he had been offended and hurt. And the, second, the third one, the Lord gets very personal with them. And he tells them in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, or uh, verse 7, rather. He says this first off, and these words will sound very familiar because most of the minor prophets have said these words. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And then he goes into another way of expressing his personal offense. He says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Some translations insert an exclamation point there. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. And listen to this, the whole nation of you. He doesn't just call out some of them. He says, the whole nation of you, you're robbing from me. Now notice what the Lord is doing here. I mean, he, this is really personal at this point. He's telling them face to face, and he's telling them through the voice of the prophet, hey, guys, you are robbing from me. You have forgotten how much I've loved you. You are giving me a half-hearted worship, and now you're just stealing from me. How are they doing it? In their tithes and contributions. And he goes on to tell them, he says in verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he was trying to show them, don't bring just half of your tithe. Don't just bring a part, portion of your tithe. But what he was telling them was to bring the full tithe so that there may be food in my house. In other words, the tithe was meant for the purpose of the, the Lord's house, of blessing the Lord's house. And if you remember back in Haggai, the problem was that they came back to Jerusalem, but they had neglected the Lord's house. And here they are repeating the same thing, but through their giving, through their tithes and contributions, they have neglected the Lord's house. And he's telling them the Lord's house is supposed to be blessed, but yet you're neglecting it once again. And then he goes on to tell them, and this is really interesting. And I don't know that you'll see this anywhere else in the Bible. He says this, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Tells them, test me. Just go ahead and try it and let me show you. He says, though, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I'm going to rebuke the devourer, devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all of the nations, they're going to call you blessed. These are some strong words the Lord is giving to them. But once again, what we what we need to see is kind of look into God's heart in this. This 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 letter in Malachi, these words in Malachi, really are at the heart of God, and He's pleading with them, and He's trying to show them how He is personally hurt by what they're doing. They're not getting the point, so now He's trying to tell them, "Hey guys, you're robbing me. You're stealing from me. My house is supposed to be full of being of blessing, and be, there's supposed to be a storehouse. But yet you are neglecting my house. So here it is. It's being left in ruins once again. 
And he tells them, bring the full tithe, not just a little piece, but let me show you. If you'll bring the full tithe, how I will bless you over and over again. As a matter of fact, I won't just bless you, but when famine comes or when a locust comes, I'm going to rebuke them and push them back from your land. We see this principle of a tithe being taught once again in the Old Testament that is carried throughout even into the New Testament. And a tithing is an ancient principle. An ancient process that goes all the way back to Genesis in Abraham. In Abraham, the Bible shows us that he gave a part of his tithe to Melchizedek, the high priest. And tithing, listen to this today, please, just for a moment. Lay aside whatever you've heard from anybody else and just look at the Bible for a minute. Tithing was meant to bless the house of the Lord and to make sure that God's mission could continue on the earth. And unfortunately, there have been many people throughout history, not even just recent history, but throughout the history of the church who have tried to exploit that and have tried to take personal gain or advantage from tithe. And But the Lord is trying to show the people here that tithing is what is meant to further the mission of God. And what, they have, what has happened is, is many times we have lost this kind of principle and the mission of how God really set up a process for God's mission to be happening on the earth. We've neglected that. And so now the Lord is trying to show them once again, bring the full tithe. And this is even shown throughout the New Testament teaching over and over again about tithing, about giving. And what it is, is it's never about money. The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's never about money, but God understands that it's physical resources that will accomplish a a physical mission of reaching people on the earth. But what it was about was their heart. Remember, they were giving half-hearted worship. And what was reflected in this was they were also doing half-hearted giving. And so he was trying to tell them, bring the full tithe. Bring all of it to me. Instead of robbing me, bring it all to me. And what he shows them is that there's a blessing. When you bless the Lord, the Bible teaches us here that he'll bless your house. When you bless God, he puts you under his wing of provision. And he says to them, put me to the test. I love how God kind of gets bold with them and says, just watch me how I'll take care of you if you'll take care of my house. If you'll bless my mission and bless my church and bless my people and the mission that I have, I will bless you and everything that you need. And he goes as far to say, I will open the windows of heaven. And I will rebuke the devourer for you. We see this action of the Lord like we talked about last week, that the Lord is willing to fight on behalf of his people. And he wants to bless them until there is no more need. Tithing is never about money. It's about our heart. It's about what our heart is, the position of our heart. As Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And sometimes what happens in life is an easy, especially nowadays, is that we can let money become an idol for us. But God, Jesus told them in his sermon on the Mount, he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. You've got to pick one or the other. And this is the same principle today is that oftentimes in life as we become so easy of allowing money to become an idol. But money really is a reflection of who we make to be our God. Because when we tithe, we reflect a lifestyle that says, I will bless the Lord above all else. And I will trust God with my provision and with my life. And I know God will take care of me. 
And this is what the Lord was trying to teach them. And it was a hard word for them. It was a hard word. Stop robbing from me, the Lord said. It was a difficult word, but yet it was a word they needed to hear. So the Lord shows us he's personally been offended by their forgotten love, by their half-hearted worship, and by them robbing from them. So the solution to their actions begins to come. And he says these things that begin to happen here in Malachi chapter 3 as we begin to kind of wind this down. Malachi chapter 3, remember the message of Malachi is this, I'm on the way. And so now he says this to them as he begins to give them the encouragement about the hope that is coming. And he tells them, I'm going to send my messenger before you and he's going to prepare the wave before me. And the Lord whom you seek, he will suddenly appear before his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. He closes Malachi and he tells them that there's gonna, he's going to send Elijah the prophet. And this is speaking about John the Baptist, which ultimately we see. And so really the words of Malachi give us this hope that there's one coming. He's going to make ready the way before the Lord. Speaking about John the Baptist, who would ultimately stand up as we see him, a strange figure in the New Testament, calling them back to repentance. But he's setting the stage before the coming of the king as was appropriate for any king, that any time a king was making his way before a people, a messenger would go ahead of them and tell them, hey, get ready, the king is on the way. And so now the Lord is telling them, get ready, you're about to see the beginnings of my king, of the ultimate king coming before you. And he tells them here in verse two, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Take note of that verse for a minute. If you like to study the Old Testament, take note of that verse. Because here's a people, they've been wanting all of these kings, they've been wanting these great leaders, people to be above them. But he says, there's going to come a day where this king, where this leader, he's going to come before you, and you're not going to even be able to stand at the day of his appearing. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. I love this verse here. And he begins to talk to them about the one who is coming, who would be like the Lord, Jesus, who's coming. And he's going to bring a refining and purifying that needs to happen. And he tells them that he's going to bring a refiner's fire and fuller soap. The refiner's fire being like a precious metal that was put into the fire over and over again to take all of the blemishes off, unlike their worship, and a fuller soap. And a fuller soap is not something you can go and pick up at Walmart. A fuller soap was a combination of of a process that they would use to clean wool under their feet as they would take it and make this kind of friction that would take all of the spots from the wool from the sheep and make it pure, kind of like maybe what we are seeing today, white as snow. And what God wanted them to see was that they needed a refining. 
because there was a confusion that was happening. The, the things that were sacred were getting confused. The things that were holy, remember, they had become half-hearted worship. And so there was kind of this blurring of the lines. There wasn't really a certainty of what is holy and what is unholy, what is righteous and what is unrighteous. And so God tells them there's going to come a day and the refiner is going to come and he's going to separate it. He's going to draw a line. And we see that in the life of Jesus as he begins to preach and he calls out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he begins to show them what true worship, what ultimate righteousness looks like in their lives. And even so today, God is still, as we as the people of God, are being refined and molded into who God wants us to be. Some have called this a big word that is, says is like sanctification. And sanctification is a big word that simply means to be made like the Lord, to be made holy, to be made in the image of God. That the life of sin that we live, that we're slowly being made more and more like the Lord. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin, but yet we are still being made sanctified and growing into who God wants us to be. Martin Luther said it was this about the Holy Spirit. He said that the greatest work of the Holy Spirit was sanctification. And while that is probably true, that the Holy Spirit is continuing to make us more and more like the Lord, offering correction where it's needed, offering discipline where it's needed. And Hebrews chapter 12 teaches us this, that the Lord corrects those whom he loves and he disciplines those whom he loves. And ultimately, it's a way to show us that when God corrects us in our lives, it's not in a way to put us down, but it's in a way to build us up. And that is what God desires through our discipline when we read the word of God, when we listen to the word of the Lord, and maybe even now and this morning as you're studying and you're hearing the word, you think, ouch, that hurts. It's difficult. It's trying. It's troublesome, but it's not in a way to put you down. It's in a way to build you up so that you can become all that God intended you to be. You see, that's different from the work of the, of, of the enemy. The enemy comes to only push you down and never help you reach your purpose. But God helps you to speak life into you and correction into you so that you can become all that he intended you to be. And this is the refining that is beginning to happen. And he promises through the coming of Jesus. And he even Jesus even speaks about this in his several parables. He talks about it in the sheep and the goats. And he talks about it in the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he says it was like one who came in the night and he came and sold seeds, speaking of the enemy. And they woke up the next day and they began to see weeds were growing in the wheat. And Jesus said or in the parable, they asked him, what shall we do? Shall we go and pull them up? And he said, no, because in the process of pulling the weeds up, you're going to uproot the wheat. But he said, leave it there. And there will come a day where that where it will be separated, the wheat from the weeds. And there will be a process of refining. And this is just a reminder to us today that in our hearts, we need continual refining. We need the process of sanctification. We need the process from going, as Corinthians calls it, glory to glory. We're never intended to be a plateau Christian. You just reach a place and you stop. No, we're continuing growing and being all that God wants us to be. 
Finally, the second kind of solution to their actions we see in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, is he tells them that those who fear the Lord with one another, notice what happens here. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Watch what the Lord did here. He says that he paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance. This is kind of funny here because as though the Lord could forget. Why would the Lord record a book of remembrance even though he would know it all? But he does this to show them that in the actions of the righteous and in the actions of those who fear the Lord and esteem his name, he's remembering all that they're doing. He sees it and it's not in vain. What they're doing, it's bringing honor to him. He's watching it and he's recording it. You and I are going to stand before the Lord one day. And we're going to hear the words, if we ran the race well, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And what we do with our lives, this verse is a reminder today, is that the Lord pays attention to our lives and he hears us. He hears how we honor him with our lives. What is our life amounting to? What is our life doing to honor and bring glory to his name? Or is it bringing dishonor? To his name. This book of remembrance, though it's kind of figurative in nature, is a way to speak to us right now today, as it was to the Israelites, that in Jesus, what are we doing to bring glory and honor to him? I don't want to be somebody, I believe has been said before, that just simply leaves a scratch on the surface of this earth, but leaves a dent with the purpose that God had it for our lives. That what is it that our lives has been intended to do? And are we trying to reach all that God wants us to be? Are we letting all of the actions of book of remembrance, are they pleasing to the Lord or is it bringing dishonor to the Lord? Is it a kind of action that's glorifying God or is it kind of action that is letting him down? God is not concerned, remember, with how much we can do for him, but it's about being for him. And this was the problem with the people of Israel here today in this writing, but also for us today, is a lot of times we get caught up in trying harder. If I can just do more, if I could just do a little bit better devotional time, if I could just live a little bit better, trying, trying, trying. But listen, the frailty in that is, is it doesn't matter how much you and I try because we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. And instead of trying harder, we need to trust in the Lord more. Instead of putting the trust in ourselves and our own ability to rescue ourselves instead of looking to the Lord and saying, God, I need help in this process. I need your strength in this. If I'm going to live in a way that pleases the Lord, it's not going to be in my own grace. It's going to be in God's grace who gives us the strength to live in a way that's pleasing to him. I think about that book of remembrance a lot. And I remember that as the Lord, one day I'm going to stand before you. What's that book of remembrance going to say about my life? What's that book of remembrance going to say about the one about my life and how I pleased you? And so now we're going to begin to bring this together. The solution to their personal offense, their forgotten love, their half-hearted worship, their robbing God was a refining and remembering a book of remembrance to cause them to look upon their lives. But now the Lord gives them a great promise. Remember this word that he says to them over and over throughout all of the minor prophecies. He told them, return to me and I will return to you. And then Malachi begins to seal up his book. Remember, 
These are the closing words to an Old Testament period of about 400 years of silence. These are the last words. And he tells them, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the sole of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. If you remember, Jesus spoke to the people of Israel and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wing like a hen gathers its chicks, but you would not let me. And he tells them in that passage as well how they had neglected the words of the prophets and had refused to listen to what they were telling them. And now Malachi is bringing kind of a resemblance of those words once again to tell them that there is one coming. Jesus, I'm coming. I'm on the way, God is saying. And when you see him, the righteous ones, you've been waiting for his appearing. You're going to be leaping like calves from the stall. I can kind of just imagine that image that here is Jesus and they see his appearing. And there's going to be this kind of rejoicing and celebration of his appearing. But when he comes, the son of righteousness, it's not S-O-N, son, it's S-U-N. It's going to be like a bright light, like that is recalled in the New Testament. They say a light has dawned and broke forth. And it kind of shows that in the midst of everything they're going through, in their darkness and in their peril, that there is going to be a bright light of hope that appears and it's going to bring healing. And that's speaking about Jesus. There's healing in his wings. And all of the messages of the prophets, the message I believe that God is speaking to us even today is this. And really, if there was one word, to, one phrase to sum up all of the minor prophets is this. Return to me and I will return to you. Musicians, you can come. What God was interested in and through the voice of the minor prophets wasn't about coming just to Jerusalem. It wasn't about just coming back to build a temple. It wasn't about just coming back to a better life. What God wanted all along and what we see through his heart. Listen, this, this word right here, you can hear God's heart in this, was that he just wanted the people to return to him. And in a season of our world where we have had to be away from gathering in a building, We've had to get away from learning an emphasis upon a physical location. We've had to learn to return to the Lord himself. It hasn't been about returning to church because we've realized church is not a place we go. Church is who we are. It hasn't been about returning to a regular Sunday routine because we've realized that a pandemic can cause all of that to be up in the air. It hasn't even been about returning to good worship or polished preaching. The Lord could care less about that. What the Lord really wants in this time in our world, speaking to us here in this church, but also I believe the church global, is that we would return to him. I believe God had to get us in a way to break away from all of the things that we so easily relied upon so that we could learn to return to him himself. Isn't it true? Oh, how guilty we've been of just reply, relying upon the routine of worship, relying upon the routine of habit, relying upon a good service, relying upon good church attendance, but not relying upon returning to the Lord. 
That's what God wanted them to see, the people of Israel. And now even us today, I believe, was returned to me. If you'll come to me, I'll show you there's a son of righteousness and there's healing in his wings. If you'll come back to Jesus, I'll show you that in him is all that you ever needed. If you'll come back to me instead of robbing me, I'll show you there's blessing in me. If you'll come back to me instead of with half-hearted worship, I'll show you there's blessing in true worship. Instead of a forgetting about how much I love, remember how faithful I've been to you over and over and over again. I believe this is part of the reason the Lord called us in this season to look at these minor prophets, to be reminded of that in all of everything that we're going through, it's not about a building. It's not about a place. It's not about good light effects or sound effects. It's about returning to Jesus, returning to the Lord. It's not about the things that we've relied upon so easily, but it's about where is our heart at in returning to the Lord. Listen, if we can't learn to worship the Lord outside of this place and being with the Lord in our daily life, then how will we ever learn to serve the Lord on a Sunday? No, returning to Jesus is about a daily thing. And that's why we see here in Malachi, the Lord is showing them personal ways because it wasn't about a, just a good temple sacrifice. We're good at that, right? Coming to church on Sunday, giving a good temple sacrifice. No, the Lord wasn't concerned about that. What he wanted was that they would return to him. And I believe so much so, this is the message God's speaking today. Listen, we don't live in a world of coincidence. I believe we live in a world of purpose and timing, and God's timing is perfect. And I believe this is a word of correction and rebuke to us even today as God's church to say, return to him. Return to him. As an American church that has relied upon maybe wealth and affluence so many times and relied upon church marketing strategy and growth and all of these other things, that the Lord would say to us, stop relying on all of those things. Return to me. Listen, in the middle of a pandemic, if there are people who can learn to huddle under a light bulb in a cave to worship Jesus, then surely in all of our freedom and blessing now, we can learn to return to Jesus. We stand with me today. Close your eyes today. It might have taken a pandemic for us to realize that maybe our heart wasn't fully in it. Or maybe we've just been going through the habit. We've been kind of half-hearted. Maybe it's been realizing and blaming the Lord. God, you don't love me. But the Lord trying to show us, oh, I've loved you, but you haven't remembered it. Today, this is a reminder and a call to repentance for us. Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry, Lord when we have returned to other things. Maybe there are some churches that are still closed right now. God isn't recalling them to return to a building. God isn't calling any of us to return to a building. He's calling us to return to him. Return to me, says the Lord. So Lord, today, we acknowledge your word today. 
that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And Lord, now in our world that we're living in, God, your word here in Malachi, you spoke to them and you said, I do not change. And Lord, I know that you are the same God the people of Israel worshiped. And Lord, you showed them how much you loved them and cared for them. And God, we have seen that even so today. And so, Lord, today this is an act of repentance and reconciliation with you, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Jesus. We're sorry, Lord, when we've made our worship more about a song instead of you. We're sorry, Lord, when we've made our giving more about our finances instead of you. Lord, we're sorry, Lord, when we've made our service more about an appearance and pride than about serving you. We're sorry, Lord. May we come back to your heart, Jesus, that we may return to you, Lord. God, when we've learned in this pandemic, when we don't have all of these things that we've repent, relied upon, that we will discover you're calling us to you. As the psalmist recorded, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. My heart has responded, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming. God, today there might be some people watching, maybe here today, that need to realize they need to come back to you. Been half-hearted in their worship or lukewarm. They need to come to repentance, making things right with you. Lord, you're not going to stand. You're not going to put us before you and say, as we discovered earlier this week at prayer service, God, that all the things, Lord, I did all of these things for you. Didn't I do these miracles in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? But you're going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Because it wasn't about what we could do for you. It was returning to you yourself. It was about relationship. So, Lord, may we come to you, God. May we come in repentance to you today. We're sorry, Lord, for the way we've made worship. We're sorry, Lord, for the way we've made all of the things that you've intended your church to be, but it's not supposed to be. We want to come back to you, Jesus. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. We want to honor you with our life. We don't want to bring dishonor. We want to offer you worship that is pleasing aroma to you, Jesus. So, God, we're coming back to you. We're coming back to you today. I want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage you, friend, watching online. Listen, this isn't about All Nations Church. It isn't about me. It isn't about anybody singing on this platform. It's about Jesus. And the word of the Lord to you today is return to Him. When are you going to make things right with the Lord? Don't say, just another day, let me enjoy my fun. No, return to the Lord. Make things right. Don't delay it any longer. If we're going to run this race with endurance and with perseverance, it's going to be when we return to the Lord with all of our heart. Choir's going to come. We're going to sing. Come on, talk to the Lord this morning. We repent, Jesus. We're sorry, Lord. We're sorry, Lord. We hear you today, Jesus, calling us. We hear you today, Father. You're calling us away from our selfishness, our conceitedness, and to return to you. We're coming back to the heart of worship. We're coming back 
to who you've intended us to be because you have loved us. You've loved us with an everlasting love. Let's sing this morning.